Welcome to Restoration. My name is Jason Soderstrom, our lead pastor here. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you out on the patio afterwards. It is wedding season at Restoration. A lot of people getting married, a lot of weddings happening. I love weddings. I've actually played a ton of roles in weddings. I've been the officiant. I've been a groomsman. I've been best man. I've been groom. I've been musician. I've been day of planner. But my favorite wedding a uh, role I've ever played is not the groom. <laughs> Everyone's like, is it the groom? No, there's too much pressure up there. You're standing, everybody's staring at you, waiting for you to cry as, as your future spouse comes down the aisle. It's too much pressure. My favorite role I've played is wedding DJ. I've done it 15 times. It's the hype man. You guys did not know this, but I was a wedding DJ for a long time. And I love it because you're controlling the music. You're getting people engaged. Like, and you always, as a wedding DJ, have to play the right songs. You have a good Rolodex of songs. You got to play Shout. Everybody loves Shout. You got to play Yeah by Usher. Uh, and then you definitely have to play because white people love to be told how to dance. Cha-cha slide. To the left, to the left. Everybody loves it. It gets everybody engaged. You, you're controlling the hype of the wedding. And I just love it because one of the things that I, I love about being the DJ is you get to just bring this awesome energy. The thing that makes being a DJ way easier is alcohol at the wedding. No alcohol at the wedding. It's people don't dance as much typically, but people have a glass of wine or two glasses of wine. All of a sudden they're out on the dance floor and it's great. I can't control that. But if they have some wine, it helps get people up on the dance floor. What's interesting in most cultures is wine or alcohol is typically used in celebration and joyous occasions, especially in a wedding. And as we study the Bible today, I want to show you throughout the Bible, actually wine is a symbol for joy. When you have wine, you have joy. When you have no wine, you have no joy. That's what Psalm 104 says. It says this. It says, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth and wine that gladdens the human hearts. Wine is meant to bring joy, but it's, it's symbolic. And we're going to read a passage today where it's used in a metaphor in John 2, is we're going to be studying Jesus turning water into wine. And really the, the symbolism that happens is Jesus is going to turn this old nothingness from no joy to full of joy. As the Bible uses this wine metaphor throughout the scriptures, there's also a uh, warning when it comes to alcohol. In Ephesians 5, 18, it says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. This warning is not that wine is bad, but can lead to evil when it is used to get intoxicated. And it's really to explain that there is something better, that there's something better that to be intoxicated outside of just alcohol, and that is the Spirit of God. It is better to be filled with the Spirit, and you can't be intoxicated with alcohol and filled with alcohol and filled with the Spirit at the same time. And so not that alcohol is bad, but being intoxicated, going to debauchery, that is where it gets evil. So ultimate joy comes from a Spirit-filled life. Not spirits filling your life, but a spirit-filled life. That is where joy comes from. So today, we're going to walk through this miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, his first miracle. And again, I want you to remember this, that the symbol that is running through this miracle is 
When the joy runs out of life, Jesus has to do a miracle. When the wine runs out, the only option is for Jesus to do something new. So today, my question is this for you. Has there been a time ever in your life where the wine has run out? Has there been a time in your life where you have no joy? It feels as if joy is gone. Maybe your peace is gone. Maybe your hope is gone. What used to satisfy you does not bring joy anymore. Has the wine ever run out? Maybe for a few people in here today, it might be thinking through your life. It might be your marriage. You go, okay, we had so much joy at the beginning of our marriage, yet we are in a tough conflict season where it just feels like we're like this all the time. And it feels like the joy has run out in marriage. For some of you, it just might be your passion for God. You used to have this awesome passion for the things of God, but now all of a sudden you've started to doubt him and it's just waning this passion and it feels like you don't really have that much joy. Maybe for a few of you, it's you're struggling with one of your kids. You're always in conflict. You're always stressed with your kids. It feels like there is no relationship. The joy that you once had with your child is no longer there. The wine has run out. For some of you, it might be you're going, I don't know how I'm going to pay the next bill. And the joy of life has come to an end. And when the joy of life has come to an end, what do you need? You need a miracle from God. You need Jesus to show up and to do something. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to walk through this passage, and I want to just show you some principles from this passage. If your joy starts running out, how do you see a miracle in your life and see new joy from Jesus come into your life? So let's jump into our passage. John 2.1 says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been also invited to the wedding. So when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Okay, so let me give you a quick history of weddings and all that. So Jesus at this wedding. Weddings were not just a two-hour, three-hour affair. They could last up to a week. And so people would travel from all across the region. This was in Cana. It's like 90-mile travel from Jerusalem. It's five miles from Nazareth. So people were traveling. So it's not like you just get in your car and you go to the wedding and then you you know, you dance and drink a a glass of wine and then you go back home. No, you are stuck at Cana. So there's this huge festival basically that is happening where everybody's coming in. So Jesus is invited with his family and also a few of his disciples. We don't know if all 12 disciples were there, but we do know four were there because of John 1 tells us that Philip, Nathaniel, Simon, and Andrew are all there. Philip's actually from Cana where the wedding's at. And so all his disciples are there. And one thing that I want to just point out that We'll, most people skip over. They've never thought this. Do you realize that Jesus got invited to the wedding? He got invited. Why? Because Jesus is a prude that doesn't like social things and doesn't like people. No. You don't invite people to a wedding that are going to screw up your wedding. They invited Jesus because Jesus was fun. Jesus was a joy to be around. He brought life to the party. He wasn't condemning people at the party. No, he went to the party. They actually invited him in. Too many people think that Jesus is boring. Jesus was desired to be at the party. You know who I desire to be at my party? Billy Sprague. 
You ever go to a party with Billy? He is on the front lines of the dance floor. Almost every song, he's just full of sweat. This is us at a dance party. Uh, and he's always got the smile. He's always bringing the energy. But actually, there's something a little bit deeper that people don't realize. People think Billy is the life of a party because he's an extrovert and fun. But actually, Billy is the life of the party because Billy loves people deeply and cares about people. He empathizes with people. If you're ever around Billy, Billy is the ultimate encourager. And so when you're around a person like that, they, they take their eyes off themselves and they put it on you. You feel great about yourself and you want them to be there. This is who Jesus is. He loves so much. He cares so much. He encourages so much. Everyone wants him there. So the story goes on and we'll just kind of take it from the lens of Mary. So Mary's sitting there and she's like, uh, I, I, let's say it's like three days into the wedding. Maybe the dance floor is going. They're doing like, you know, the, one of these, a Cupid shuffle or whatever they're doing. And they're like, Mary looks and she's got the motherly instinct. She's like, uh-oh, wine's out. We got to take care of this. And so Mary starts going, oh, we need to, we need to get more wine. But why do you think she cares so much about the wine? Because in this culture, this is actually a social catastrophe for the wine to go out. Wine was not just a luxury in that day. It was a staple to ancient banquets. Running out of wine would be like running out of your main course at your wedding. Imagine giving half the people food and the other half don't get food. All of a sudden, this goes from a great celebration, tons of joy to embarrassment. All of a sudden, that's shifting. They say even the bridegroom and his family in this culture, if, wedding, uh, if the wedding provisions weren't there, they would be financially liable for these people. So the wine runs out. The party goes from joyous to grief. It goes from happy to embarrassment. And here's just something I want to point out today for you guys, is that in our lives the wine will run out. In our lives, joy will run out. But the wine will run out so that you will run to him. You're going to go through times where joy is not gonna be there. That the things that used to bring you joy are no longer gonna be satisfactory. But why is this true? It's because Jesus wants us to run to him. God wants to bring you to a point where you rid yourself of self-reliance and run to him. And this feels upside down, doesn't it? Like God allows in our lives for us to have a place where the joy runs out. But here's the reality is that God knows this, that the more dependent you are on him, the greater joy you will have. When we get to the end of ourselves and we have, are pushed to greater dependence on God, that is the moment where you experience the most joy. When the wine runs out, you get new wine that brings new joy. But it seems so counterintuitive that God would let us go through that, but it's in order that we might find joy in him and him alone. We, we've kind of seen this in our world though, our, we, when the wine goes out, you have to go search for something new. If you've ever struggled in an addiction, typically in addiction, you have to hit what rock bottom 
It has to be totally empty. The wine has to legitimately run out and be like, this is not working. I must do something else to fill me. In our marriages, no one ever goes to marriage counseling because they're like, our marriage is great. You typically have to hit some conflict, some struggle, and you have to be at a point where you're going, this is no longer joyful anymore. I need new wine in my life. So when the wine runs out, we have to make a choice. What do we go to next? And Jesus says, run to me. I will give you new wine. So Mary, she knows this about Jesus. The wine is out and Mary knows that this is her son. This is soon to be the Messiah that is revealed to all. And Jesus has the power to do a miracle. And when the wine has run out and you've come to the end of yourself, you have to go, who is going to solve my problem? Who's going to solve the shortage of my wine? Mary goes, it is Jesus. Jesus has the power. He is the only one to bring fullness of joy. Do you believe this? Do you believe this in your life? Everything you chase after, everything you try to find joy in, the ultimate joy that can be found is in Jesus and him alone. He is the only one that has the power. I think to myself, I don't have the power. Can I turn water into wine? Was I there on creation? Did I know myself before I was formed in my mother's womb? Do I know the plans for my life? No, I do not. I have no clue. And what we have to come to if we want to experience joy and miraculous things in our life is we have to have this belief. We have to have a belief that he knows what is best, not I know what is best. Seems pretty easy, doesn't it? But very hard to live out. Jesus knows what is best. I do not know what is best. I think in Denver, especially, we can look on the outside like we have everything going for us. Everything's good. Everything's peaceful. We drive the car we want. We live in the house we want. But deep on the inside... What is happening? I I think sometimes when I have a problem, I go, I'll figure this out. All of you guys are smart people and you're problem solvers. So our natural tendency in life is when the joy runs out, what do we do? We go, I'll figure it out. I'll come up with a solution. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll start this new diet. I'll go to this new gym. I'll get this new job. I, 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 I. But Jesus knows what's best. Thursday, I was planning this message and I was beating my head against a wall. When you public speak for a living and you don't know what you're going to say on Thursday and you got to speak on Sunday, you start freaking out. Uh, And I prayed through it. I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. I'm like, for three hours, I just sit at my computer and just throw things out. I'm like, oh. And literally, I woke up the next morning and there was this like sense in my soul. It was just like, why don't you ask me? Maybe you don't know what's best, Jason. So I literally just for 10 minutes went for a walk and it felt like he just told me everything I needed to say. But this is like my go-to sin is I know what's best. I can fix my problem. Jesus knows what's best. 
So as we go on the story, Mary, Mary knows that Jesus is the only one that's got the power. He's the only one that can bring new wine. And so he's, she's like, I'm gonna ask Jesus. And Jesus responds to Mary in a very funny manner. If you read it from our context, in verse four, it says this. Jesus goes to Mary, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. All right, kids, when you talk to your mother, never say, woman, why do you involve me with this laundry? My hour has not yet come. Never say that. This is not actually a derogatory term. This is a term of respect. As we read it, it feels derogatory, but Jesus is just embracing his mother in an honoring way. And he's basically going like, telling Mary, like, I'm not doing this. But Mary was persistent. She's asking Jesus because Jesus was not planning on doing a miracle that day. Jesus goes, I'm waiting till my hour has come. My hour has not come. What does that mean? What it means is this. There's an hour that Jesus will be glorified, that he will be seen as Messiah. Jesus' purpose was headed to the cross to die, to seek and to save what was lost. And there was a timeline for that purpose, that he might die over Passover. So if he reveals himself in his glory, that time, like that uh, hourglass is flipped. And all of a sudden, the time starts going down to Jesus' death. And so Jesus knew exactly when he needed to go public with every single miracle. And he he goes, my hour has not come for my glory to be revealed. Actually, throughout, the, uh, throughout John, three of the seven signs or miracles that we see through John are hidden or private, where four or more to bring out his glory to the world, to push the timeline of his ascent to the cross. So here's what I want you to see, though, is this. I want you to see what Mary did. Because if you want a miracle in your life, if you want joy to return to your life, you have to have the faith to boldly ask for new wine. Mary didn't care that his time had not come yet. She asked. She boldly asked, and she has faith. When you want a miracle in your life, you're not just to hope for it. You're not just to believe like, oh, Jesus has the power. No, you're to boldly ask him. You are to come to him. It says it this way in Matthew 7 when we pray. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. See how it's over and over again? It's not just, oh, ask and it will be given to you. No, then seek, then knock. There's a persistence. There's a contending in prayer. There's a faith to going, I desperately need God. I need him and I ask him over and over and over again. What I've noticed in our culture and even in our church that I just want to maybe push us to a little bit is I've seen a lot of people when you have troubles, when you're sick, when you're hurting, when you have pain, when you have like big things and when you have small things, we end up keeping them to ourselves. We don't want anyone else to know. We want to be like, oh, like, there's bigger and better things that God can pray for and other people need to pray for. So we keep it to ourselves. Yet I think this is totally preventing us from experiencing God, all the things that God has for us. You should not keep it to yourself. And as a church, if you're like me, typically when I'm struggling, I don't have the faith to boldly ask on my own. That's strange. Like, 
I'll ask for other people. I'll be praying these huge prayers for you guys. But when it comes to my life, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can ask that. Like, I just don't have the boldness. So what do we do? This is why we have the community of believers around us. The people that pray the most bold prayers for my life are typically other people than myself a lot of times. Because I'm in desperation mode. I need people to lay hands on me. I need people to pray for me. This is why I want our prayer culture here to be one that we're always going to God in prayer. If you hear something out on that patio, you're talking to somebody, they're struggling with something. Stop right there, put a hand on them and just pray for them. That could be the greatest act you do that day because you're encouraging, you're loving, and we're believing that God can bring new wine into a situation. The other, uh, a month and a half ago, I was with some of my friends and they were really struggling because they were uh, about ready to have a baby and they went to their last doctor's appointment and the doctor said the newborn was gonna have a lot of issues and they were really worried about it and they're monitoring every single day. And Jordan and Taylor came to church that day and we started talking to them a little bit and we started going, okay, Jordan, Taylor, let's start praying right now. Like you told us this, let's gather five people and let's just ask boldly, God, do a miracle, do a work. You can protect this baby. You are sovereign. You are in control. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. Please, please, please make this baby boy healthy. Three days later, Taylor and Jordan delivered Rowan completely healthy. Just coincidence. No, we pray bold prayers. We ask for miracles. We ask in faith that God might do a work. So we ask boldly and we have others ask with us. So Mary goes on and she knows uh, that Jesus, it's not his hour, but she still doesn't take that. So she gets like the servants and people and she goes, there's no wine. So here's what she tells them to do. She goes, his mother said to the servants, hey guys, just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. All right, sounds good. So Jesus, Mary knows that Jesus has all this power and she goes, okay, you servants, just listen to Jesus and do whatever he tells you to do. If you want joy and if you want a miracle in your life, the best advice I can tell you is this, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Simple. When we're obedient to the things of Jesus, it will transform us. That is the best advice anyone can give you. Do what Jesus tells you to do. You know what the worst advice in the world is? Do what everyone around you tells you to do. The world is not pushing you to the things of Jesus, to faith and obedience. It is pulling away from you. So who are we trusting? Are we trusting King Jesus or are we trusting mere mortals? And we do not obey Jesus out of religious duty. We do what he tells us to do because he loves us and he wants what's best for us and he died for us. That's why in John 15, later on in the book, he says this. He says this is about his word. He says, these things I have spoken to you, the words I have spoken to you, this is why I spoke them to you, that my joy may be in you. Do you see it? The joy. If you want joy in your life, when we listen to his words and his words are in us, his joy is in us and that your joy may be full. Fullness of joy comes from doing what Jesus has us do. So how do we do that practically? Two ways. One, we, we read the scriptures, the Bible. It says it is God's word. And then we apply that in our lives. 
And then there's other times in life where you don't know what path to walk. The scriptures aren't clear on where you should move or what job you should take or who you should date. That's just kind of gray. And so one of the things that God gives us is his spirit that we might listen to his voice and he might guide our path. So Jesus wants to tell you, he wants to speak to you in those moments. But here's the thing about Jesus and his voice. He doesn't speak loud. He doesn't force it. He's quiet. And if you're like me, an extrovert that never stops and hates silence, you never hear him because you're never quiet. He speaks quietly. So over the last few years, I feel like God has slowed me down so that I could hear him more. And when it comes to hearing his voice, I just want to share with you how I hear it and what happens in my life. I'm, I'll be praying about something and all of a sudden I'll talk or say something or an idea will pop in my head and it'll almost be like a chill through my forearms that comes through and this like stirring in my soul that happens. And I, as I've gotten older, I can sense, okay, that is the voice of God, but it's taken time and it's taken space and it's taken quiet. So I want to give you, if you're like me, You move too fast, you're too loud, you're not silent enough. Jason, six steps to those people who go too fast and never listen to the voice of God. Here's the six things you should do. Number one is this, you should make space and time. I have to put it in my calendar. I gotta put 30 minutes in my calendar for it. I gotta plan it out. I gotta make space and time. Number two, I need to do something where I don't get distracted. So for me, the only way I don't get distracted is I move and I walk. Like, I, I can't sit still ever. Like, sitting in a coffee shop for an hour over a cup of coffee and just pondering the things of God sounds terrible to me. So I'm just, like, walking, and I walk, and I walk. So I go on a walk around my neighborhood, and I'm just like, I need to hear from God. I go for a walk so I don't get distracted. Now, each of us has something that we need to do that we create space. We don't get distracted. Number three, give it five minutes before you fill it. Here's my temptation. I do the the walk in about 37 seconds in. I'm like, I should look at my phone. And then I'm like, I should put an AirPod in and listen to worship music or my favorite podcast or the Bible app. And so I start doing it. And then I, oh, no, don't do that. Put it back in. And I close it back up, put it back in. And I keep walking. And then I ask one question. God, what should I do? And I listen. And I don't do anything else. I just, God, what should I do? And then I listen for an answer. And then when he tells me, number five, I make sure it doesn't contradict the Bible. So if it contradicts the Bible, it's not the voice of God. And then six, I do what he tells me to do. I do it. Put it into action. So Jesus might actually be trying to tell you exactly everything you need for joy to return to your life, for a miracle in your life. You just might not have the space to hear him. So maybe... This week, you just need to create some space to hear him. The rest of this story is wild. I love it. And we're going to keep going. Verse six, it says this, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. 
They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had, it had come from. Through the, through the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. Can you imagine being one of the servants there? All right, Mary comes and tells you, just do whatever this dude tells you to do. And they're like, all right. He's like, all right, boys, we're going to turn some water into wine. Give me those six jars that are 20 to 30 gallons. Fill them with, to the brim with water. I bet you they're all like, this ain't working, but okay, here you go. This is crazy. This is dumb. What are you actually thinking, Jesus? Here's one thing I've learned about obeying Jesus. To the outside world, obedience to Jesus sounds crazy. Living biblically is crazy compared to what everybody else thinks, the world around us. It is crazy in our culture to not have sex before marriage. It is crazy in our culture to give away 10% of your income. And you're like, I have barely a Chipotle anymore. How am I supposed to give away anything? Following Jesus is crazy. But in the craziness is where the miracles come. Obedience that leads to joy is countercultural. Maybe that's why we don't have a lot of joy in our society. Have you thought about that? We're isolated, we're depressed. Maybe it's because we're not living the words of Jesus in our life, taking joy away. When Jesus said, I came to give you fullness of joy, your joy to be complete. Then Jesus is like, okay, we're going to take the six water jugs. And these water jugs are used for like hand washing and ceremonial cleaning. This is the Jewish custom uh, to clean themselves, to purify themselves before God. And so what's really interesting here is Jesus is taking an old religious mechanism of ceremonial cleaning, and he's putting new wine and joy into it. The old way of purifying yourself is going away and it is symbolizing the new purification process through his blood. We're going to celebrate communion here in a moment. When we celebrate his blood as the juice, what are we celebrating? The purification, the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is symbolizing that he came to purify us, that give us his purity through his blood and death and resurrection on the cross. This is why Isaiah 64 says this, is we all know that we have sinned. We all know that we have problems in our life. Have you ever had sin in your life and you have shame in your life? There's this weight on your life. We've all felt it. It's because of this. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind of our sins sweep us away. This is what sin does to us. This is what our own righteous acts do. You cannot be pure on your own. You cannot be clean on your own. And I don't know about you, but for me, I tried for so long to clean up my life, to be a better person. A lot of people think that's what's following Jesus is all about. Be a better person, be moral. No, it's get your sins purified by his blood. 
It's not about you cleaning it up. It's about you could never do enough. Your righteous acts are like filthy rags. You can't clean it up. And when we try to clean up ourselves, we start living for really empty jars. Those empty jars had nothing. They had no goodness. They had no wine. They had nothing. But in our lives, so many times, we can live for the empty jars of life, hoping it will give us joy. We can live for success. We can live for money. We can live for comfort. But they're just empty jars. And the only way that they are good is if Jesus will fill them and he will cleanse us and he will make us new. For some of you, you might be in here and you might be living for an empty jar of life, something that will not bring you joy, that doesn't bring satisfaction. And I think Jesus might ask you, if you want a miracle in your life, if you want joy in your life, maybe there's a behavior you need to stop. Maybe there's a habit you need to start, or maybe there's an action you need to take. What's the one thing that Jesus might be asking you to do when it comes to empty jars of this world? But what's amazing is when you take your empty jars, what does Jesus do with it? He takes the ordinary, the ordinary, and he makes it extraordinary. He puts fine wine full of joy. That's why the master of the banquet was going, this is the greatest. This is the best. Well, you, normally they wait till the end, but it, you brought the best right now because that is what Jesus does when we bring our emptiness to him. He fills it with joy. It overflows and it is the greatest life. This is the joy that God wants for each of us. But here's the difficult question. What if God never does the miracle you ask for? What if you do all the things, you ask boldly, you believe in him, you like turn from living for empty jars, yet he never answers the miracle that you've been praying for in your life? Verse 11 says this about this miracle. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Who was the miracle for? It actually wasn't for the crowds. No one really knew about it. It was for his few disciples and it was for the servants. And what was the goal? For his glory to be revealed. The result of the miracle was not the wine. It was that Jesus' glory was revealed. Jesus' greatest desire for your life is that you would know his glory, that you would every single day, he would reveal more of himself to you because if he reveals more of himself to you, he can move in your life more. You can have courage to step out more. The greater miracle is his glory revealed. The ultimate miracle is that you know him, that he loves you, that you're in a relationship with him. This is our greatest joy and our greatest miracle is that we know Jesus. So my question back to why wouldn't God do the miracle is this. What if the miracle that we desired was maybe not the miracle we needed? I'll say it this way. The joy we thought we would get from a miracle in this situation, maybe there is a greater joy in another situation. 
even if God does not answer the request we have, he is still God and he is ultimately full of joy and he's giving joy. I think of Jesus. Jesus went his life to this point. There was some time from now till his early years where his earthly father, Joseph, died. We don't see any uh, mention of Joseph. So most scholars say Joseph is dead. Think about that for a second. Savior of the world, going to do all these miracles, eventually going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet he had to watch his father die. Why? Maybe it's for God's glory to be revealed in a certain way. I've had to struggle through this my entire life, this dilemma. God, why don't you answer the miracle that I pray for? My brother, when he was two, woke up, had a seizure, was in a coma for three days, lost a third of his brain, and had seizures ever since. For 35 years, my family has prayed for Blake to be healed. He doesn't have a normal life. He actually has a ton of health issues and he does not get much worldly joy in this life. But what I've seen in Blake is a greater joy than most of you do not know. I've seen a joy in Blake because he has a deep passion for the heart of Jesus. It it is as if Jesus has revealed his glory more to Blake than other people. He sees his glory. The second is Blake has been used by God more than most people I know to impact so many lives. God has revealed his glory through Blake to my entire family. I would not be on this stage. I would not be a follower of Jesus if it were not for Blake. And he's been a witness to so many people and to so many lives. Sometimes I go, maybe I don't have a normal life. Maybe he has a normal life because he gets to experience the joy of God. Maybe not on this earth like we experience it, but he gets a better glory. He sees God revealed in his life. And as my family has prayed for years and years and years, I've come to grasp with this sense that it was not the miracle we needed, but the miracle we needed was God's glory revealed to us. And here's my hope, is that I don't actually hope in the wine of today. I want the joy of Jesus, but there is a place where we will spend eternity where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more need for miracles because it is perfection. And we live for that day. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 26, he said, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There will be a day where we drink new wine full of joy with our King, Jesus. And it will be full of all joy. you're his disciple, if you know him, if you trust him, you have this hope. May you be filled with joy today. May Jesus do his work in your life. Let's pray. Father, we just invite you, God. We take a moment. We're quiet. We're in the still. 
we create space. So Father, I just ask right now, Lord, as anyone is in here that is experiencing a trial, they need joy, they're disappointed where life is at right now, God, that you are the God of miraculous healing, that you are the giver of joy, that you will give full joy. And so God, I pray that we would not be dependent on ourselves. We do not know what is best. You know what is best, God. So God, right now, whatever it is, Whatever someone has on their soul right now, we boldly ask in Jesus' name that you would do a work, that you would move. And God, we ask that you would do a work greater than we could have ever thought, God. That we would no longer live for the empty jars of our own lives, for the things that we thought would bring us life, but in our emptiness, you would fill it up with your righteousness, not our own righteousness, God. Let us give away the empty jars we live for and God, fill us with your new wine, your new joy. But let us do whatever you ask us to do and that we would be obedient and that when your words are in us, that we'd be full of joy. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here that does not know if they're going to be in eternity with you, God, that today they would make that decision, that they would say yes to you, God, that they would say, yes, I wanna make Jesus Lord over my life because then there is hope and there is fullness and that is true, that you will give us a perfection that is not of this world, but is with you and the Father. So we long for that day that we would drink that new wine. We would be joyful with you, God. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.